Amen. You may be seated. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We've been working our way through Psalm 51 here and there on Sunday evenings. Pastor Deckard will return to the series on Daniel next Sunday evening, Lord willing. But tonight we're going to look at the closing verses of this well-known psalm, this beloved psalm, Psalm 51. This is a psalm about confession of sin and repentance toward God. Things we are called to do every day as Christians, as often as we sin. And in this psalm, we're, we're sort of listening in on David's confession of sin and repentance toward God. After he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and of the murder of her husband, Uriah. And as we come to the end of the psalm this evening, David is acknowledging before God the importance of having a broken and contrite heart. And he's also asking God to do good to Zion and to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And it's my prayer that as we look at these verses together in faith, looking to Jesus Christ, that he will be gracious to give each one of us a broken and contrite heart in light of our sin, and that he will do good to us spiritually by his word and build us up in our faith in him. And let's pray for that now together, and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would do good to us now spiritually by means of your word. Build us up in our faith in you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us a broken and contrite heart in light of our sin, in light of your holiness, so that we can worship you from the heart for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 51, reading verses 16 through 19. This is God's word. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. As you can see in your sermon notes, we're going to look at what David says about having a broken and contrite heart in verses 16 and 17, and then at his request for God to build up the walls of Jerusalem in verses 18 and 19. In the verses leading up to verse 16, David's been focusing on inward things. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. 
deliver me from blood guiltiness, etc. He's been focusing on these inward realities. And then he says in verse 16, for you will not delight in sacrifice, and so on. In other words, he's saying to God, please work on these inward things for or because you will not delight in merely outward things like sacrifices and burnt offerings. Sanctify me on the inside, O God, for or because you will not delight in what is merely outside and external. Remember what the Lord said to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord sees our hearts. And nobody else can see our hearts. We can't even see our own hearts fully. But the Lord sees our hearts. He sees right through us. He sees all the way down into us. He sees all and knows all. Of course, he sees our sacrifices and our burnt offerings as well, as it were. He sees the externals of our worship and the way we live our lives. But he also sees what's going on on the inside, even right now, this very moment. And since that's true, like David, we need to ask him to cleanse us on the inside, don't we? Just like when you go to the sink to clean out your bowl after breakfast, you're not content to just clean the outside of the bowl and leave the inside all dirty with all the remnants of milk and cereal and uh, yogurt and uh, grape nuts, if that's your thing, still in there. So we shouldn't be content to bring to God just external worship without also bringing him our hearts And asking him to cleanse our hearts by his spirit. To cleanse us on the inside. So I would encourage you in light of this to ask him to cleanse your heart even now. Like David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. For he will not delight in sacrifice. He will not delight in what is merely or only external. He will not delight in just the outside of that bowl being clean if the inside has not also been made clean by his grace, by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Created me a clean heart, O God, for you will not delight in sacrifice. Notice what he adds after those words, though, in the middle of verse 16 there. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. You will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it to you, Lord, David says. If you delighted in sacrifice, I would give it to you if it meant that I could be cleansed of my sins. I would give anything to be cleansed of my sins. It's kind of the impression we get from David's words here and in the rest of the psalm. Charles Spurgeon said, He would have been glad enough to present tens of thousands of victims, sacrificial animals, if these would have met the case. Indeed, anything which the Lord prescribed, he would have cheerfully rendered. We are ready to give up all we have, if we may but be cleared of our sins. 
And that's the kind of work the Spirit does in our hearts when he convicts us of our sins, isn't it? He convinces us of our sin and misery and creates in us a desire to have our sins forgiven. Sometimes I think we can find ourselves in a situation where, sadly, we really just don't care all that much about our sin. And in those moments, we need to realize that our heart has become hardened and our heart needs to be softened by the Spirit of God. Not caring about your sin is like being a cancer patient who has a life-threatening but curable form of cancer. But for some reason, they just don't seem to care about it. And because they don't really care about it, they don't ever do anything about it. They don't seek any kind of treatment or remedy for their disease. In those moments when we don't really care about our sin, we need the Spirit of God to sensitize us to our sin, to awaken us to the seriousness of our sin, so that like David, we earnestly desire to have our sins forgiven and to be cleansed, and so that we look to Christ in faith for the cure we need and only he can give. Now, it's interesting that David says these things in verse 16, that God will not delight in sacrifice or will not be pleased with a burnt offering because who was it who prescribed sacrifices in the first place? Who was it who required burnt offerings? Of course, it was God. God himself prescribed sacrifices and required burnt offerings in all the laws he gave to his people regarding the whole system of sacrifices. So why does David say that God won't delight in sacrifices, won't be pleased with a burnt offering, the very things he himself required in his law? Well, David answers in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That is to say, the sacrifices of God, the sacrifices God requires, God delights in, God is pleased with, are those that come from a broken spirit, are those that are brought with a broken and contrite heart. True sacrifices, right sacrifices, are not merely external, they are mainly internal. They're a matter of the heart. For you will not delight in sacrifice. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about externals. He cares very much about externals. Judging by all the detailed laws of the sacrificial system and all the penalties for breaking those laws. But the point here is that he cares just as much or perhaps we could even say more about the internal, about the heart. David didn't have a broken spirit or a contrite heart before he was convicted of his sin and led to true confession and sincere repentance. God would not have delighted in his sacrifices or been pleased with his burnt offerings while his heart was still hard and unrepentant. So children, think of this. It's like when 
Perhaps you've been mean to one of your siblings and your mom or your dad say to you, tell them you're sorry and you don't really feel like it and you're kind of still mad at your sibling, but you go ahead and say, sorry. If you've ever done that before, you you said you're sorry, but in that moment, you didn't really mean it, right? Your heart wasn't in it. That's what it would have been like for David before God softened his heart and helped him to repent. We all struggle with this at times, children and parents. Lots of people in the Bible actually struggled with this. Think of Cain bringing to God an offering of the fruit of the ground, but his heart wasn't in it, as evidenced by how he treats his brother, Abel, and how he responds to God. Or think of the scribes and the Pharisees in Jesus' day, who, as Jesus said, honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. This is a perennial problem among the people of God. Turn ahead to the book of Isaiah for just a moment, if you would, or you can just listen. Isaiah chapter 1. I'll start reading at verse 11 of Isaiah 1, and I'll read down through verse 17, keeping in mind what we're thinking about here regarding sacrifices that are merely external without sincere hearts. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 11. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. I think there are two implications of all this for our worship as the people of God, for our corporate worship, morning and evening, every Lord's Day. First, our worship should be by the book. Our worship should be by the book, that is, by the Bible. We should remember that God does care about the externals of worship, as I said earlier. He is the one who prescribed sacrifices and required burnt offerings before the coming of Christ. He is the one who prescribes what we should do in corporate worship after the coming of Christ. And we are not free to add to or subtract from what he has prescribed. 
We're not free to change the recipe for corporate worship he's given us. As if we could make it better by our creativity and ingenuity. No, what he has said is what we should do. We believe in what's called the regulative principle. The regulative principle. It's the biblical idea that the Bible alone and not the traditions of man should regulate or govern what we do in public worship. We should worship God only as he has commanded us to worship him in the Bible. Mainly the singing of the word and the praying of the word and the reading of the word and the preaching of the word and the seeing of the word in the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. As our confession of faith puts it, summarizing biblical teaching on this, in chapter 21, paragraph 1, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. We should worship God only as he has prescribed in his word. We should follow the recipe he's given us. He does care about those externals and therefore we should be careful to worship him by the book, by his book. Secondly though, and more to David's point here in Psalm 51, not only should we worship God by the book, we should also worship God from the heart, from the heart. I've said a few things about this already, but let me just add two thoughts about what this means to worship God from the heart. To worship him from the heart means to worship him with sincerity, with sincerity, not just going through the motions, not putting on a show for others, not pretending, but worshiping God sincerely, genuinely, really and truly from the heart. We don't want to be like a chocolate bunny that looks like a chocolate bunny on the outside, but in reality is all empty on the inside, all hollowed out as so many chocolate bunnies are these days, sadly. No, we want to be like a chocolate bunny that's solid on the inside, solid milk chocolate all the way through, the inside matching the outside. We don't want to just look like we're worshiping God on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing there. No, we want to worship God sincerely, inside and out, from the heart. Like David in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. So to worship God from the heart means to worship him with sincerity. It also means to worship him with humility. With humility. Not thinking, I don't really need this. I kind of wish I were somewhere else 
but instead humbly acknowledging that there's no better place for you to be every Sunday morning and Sunday evening than in gathered worship with the people of God under the means of grace. Not thinking, I don't really like this hymn, I'm just, I'm not going to sing it. But instead remembering that for the person sitting in front of you, it might be one of their favorites. And joining them and singing it loudly and cheerfully, especially in light of the biblical truths contained in it. Worshiping God with humility means not evaluating the prayers that are prayed, but praying along with them in your mind and adding your hearty amen at the end. Worshiping God with humility means not critiquing the sermons and standing over them in judgment, but sitting under the authority of God's word and listening carefully, listening discerningly, of course, as the Bereans did in Acts, but with a humility and a willingness to receive God's truth into your heart. So I encourage you to pray that God would enable you to worship him from the heart, to worship him with sincerity and with humility for his glory. One more thing here, and then we'll look at our second main point much more briefly. In light of what David says here in verses 16 and 17, we should ask God for a broken spirit and a contrite heart. We should ask him to give us a broken spirit and a contrite heart. God said in Isaiah 66 verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We want to be contrite in spirit. We want to be poor in spirit. We want to be broken in spirit, in light of our sin, in light of God's holiness. We want to have a broken spirit, not a spirit that is proud and hard, And we want to have a contrite heart, a remorseful heart, a repentant heart. We want to have a heart that's soft like a marshmallow, kids, not hard like a walnut. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We don't want to be high and mighty. We want to be low and lowly. So we should ask God for this broken spirit and contrite heart that only he can give by his grace. Well, that's what David says about having a broken and contrite heart. Let's look secondly now, much more briefly, as I said, at his request for God to build up the walls of Jerusalem. He says there in verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. 
So when God does good to us, when he builds us up, when God gives us the kinds of things David prays for in this psalm, then we will be able to worship him rightly. Then we will be able to worship him from the heart, according to his word, which he will delight in. We can't worship God rightly on our own, in our own strength, using our own resources. We can only worship God rightly if he first does good to us and builds us up. He initiates. We respond to his gracious initiative, not the other way around. David prays to God, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Do good, spiritual good primarily. Do good to Zion, to the people of Zion, to the people of God. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of your will. If you go to Chick-fil-A, and you say thank you to one of the workers, to one of the team members, they'll say, my pleasure, because it's their pleasure to serve you as one of their guests. When God does good to us, it is his pleasure to do so, because he is good, and he does good, Psalm 119, verse 68. It is his very nature to do good to his creatures, and especially to his new creatures in Christ. He does not do evil to us. He does good to us. He ordains evil in the mystery of his sovereignty, but he does good. He works all things together for our good. Similarly, David prays to God, build up the walls of Jerusalem, an Old Testament way of saying build up the people of God who dwell in Jerusalem, who worship in Jerusalem. In the New Testament, the people of God are compared to a building, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We're compared also to a house and to a temple, Ephesians two nineteen through 22, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God is the one who builds us up as his people. And he builds us on Christ and by Christ and in Christ. Of course, he has to tear us down before he builds us up. Just like you would with an old house that's beyond repair or renovation because of its rotting floorboards and mold-infested walls and termite-eaten support beams. You have to tear down the old house before a new house can be built in its place. Same with us. God tears us down before he builds us up. He tears down the rotting frame of our self-righteousness 
He knocks out the walls of our self-confidence. He demolishes our pride. He levels the old house to the ground and then builds a new house in its place. Because what we need is not a renovation. We need a demolition and a new construction. And that is what God does to us when he converts us from death and sin to life in Christ, new life in Christ. And then he builds us up throughout our Christian life. He builds us up by his word, by his grace. Acts chapter 20 that we read last week, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He builds us up also by his people. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. God builds us up by all the means of grace, using all the tools at his disposal. He sanctifies us and strengthens us. He secures us and he stabilizes us when we are weak. He repairs us and restores us when we are broken. He builds us up. And that's what David asks God to do here at the end of this psalm. And here at the end of this sermon, I want to mention three things I think we should do in response to what we see here in verses 18 and 19. First, like David, we should pray for the people of God. We should pray for the church. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Notice David doesn't just pray for himself. He prays also for the people of God. So I encourage you to pray for the church. Pray for our church. Perhaps you could use the membership directory and pray through a page a day in your quiet time. Pray together as a family in family worship for our spiritual family here at CRPC. Pray that God would do good to us spiritually. Pray that God would build us up in Christ. Pray for the churches in our area. That the churches in our area would be clear on the gospel. Pray for the churches in our country. That the churches in our country would be salt and light in this culture. Pray for the church around the world. Pray for missionaries. Pray for the persecuted church. That the gospel would go forth in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Pray that Christ, the King and Head of the church, would be honored and glorified. Pray for the church. Secondly, build up the church. Build up the church. God is the one who builds up the church, as I said, but he often uses us as instruments in his hands. Paul says later in Romans chapter 14, verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And chapter 15, verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, 
He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're called to build each other up as Christians. We're called to nurture one another's growth in Christ, as we say in our mission statement. When new members take their vows, we all take a vow to fulfill all of our responsibilities to them as our fellow members so that the body of Christ may be built up for the glory of God. We're not just supposed to be consumers when we come to church. We're supposed to be construction workers, building each other up in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're also called to avoid things that weaken the household of God, like the rot of gossip or the mold of misrepresentation or the termites of untruthfulness. We're to build each other up. Build each other up one conversation at a time, one prayer at a time, one text or email or phone call or card or visit at a time. God uses us as instruments in his hands to build up his church, to build us up in Christ. So ask yourself the question, as often as you can, regularly, routinely, how can I build up my fellow church members? How can I build up my fellow church members? Ask yourself, perhaps just even after church this evening, What can I do or say to build up so-and-so? What can I do or say to build up that person? Ask yourself also, what can I do to try to get rid of things that weaken this house? What can I do to try to get rid of things that weaken this house? What might need to be exterminated in my own heart? or in the hearts of others by God's grace and power. So pray for the church, build up the church. And finally, most importantly, by far, trust God that he will be faithful to build up his church according to his plan. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. If it was just us trying to build the house, we would build in vain. But the Lord is building the house. And we can trust him to get the job done. Sin and Satan and the world may try to tear us down but God Almighty is building us up and we can trust in him. As we sang together earlier, the church shall never perish, 
her dear Lord to defend, to guide, sustain, and cherish is with her to the end. Though there be those that hate her and false sons in her pale, against or foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Pray for the church. Build up the church. And trust God that he will be faithful to build up his church according to his plan. Let's pray together. Our God, we do pray that you would build us up spiritually. We pray that you would give us broken and contrite hearts, give us soft hearts, and give us a heart of prayer for each other and a desire to do good to each other spiritually. Help us to build each other up as you've called us to do. But most of all, help us to trust you, that you will be faithful to build the house. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.